What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Anissa Shake on today's episode. You guys, I am so excited. I was actually shocked because she lives in, you live in Germany, right? I do. I live in Berlin, yeah. Yeah, and I was, she answered and I was like, holy crap, you speak very good English. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to toss it at her. Start wherever you'd like. Hi. Yeah. Thanks, first of all, for having me on here. Um, It's really meaningful for me to be able to share um, my story with people that it helps. Um, So that's, it's been great to think about this for the last few days in preparation for our talk. Um, I guess I could just start by, I guess, when we started to try to conceive. So my husband and I have been together for eight years, married for the last two and a half. And pretty soon after we got married, I was like, okay, let's, um, let's try. And Personally, in our relationship, we've had moments where we both wanted different things at different times, and that's always been the case for us. So he was not immediately like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. But, uh, but he was like, right, this makes sense. And this was about 2017, um, I would say January. Um, so around April, we got around to, you know, kind of just looking into my ovulation cycles and, and charting things and not really intensely, just with an app. Um, and nothing quite happened for three four months and I was like okay no big deal at this point I'd been checked um and there was an ultra uh, there was a fibroid in my um in my uterus which I believe was in the wall of the uterus I think it's intramural it's called I'm not quite sure and it was really tiny and it was not really causing problems but that was the first thing that they said okay this could cause problems later on so um let's try to shrink it I was given a, a medication called esmia which actually is a kind of hormone um, based uh, treatment to shrink fibroids um, and it was very new on the market um, so it, it was something that I took for three months and uh, it was checked again and the fibroid had shrunken at this point and we were then uh, suggested to do a laparoscopy um, to go in there and take it out I was still quite confused as to why such a tiny thing would have caused a problem but I'm glad we did that um, in about October of 2017 I had my first laparoscopy and uh, they went in and removed the fibroid and reconstructed the little area that that had been scarred by that. And they also found endometriosis. Um, It was stage two. Um, It had been kind of causing me slight problems. I've been having heavier periods and kind of being a bit more in pain and, you know, lasting longer. So that that was one clue. They cleaned that out um, and they also found a hernia and (laughs) a whole bunch of other tricks in there. But they also found um, two ovarian cysts, which uh, unfortunately were not problematic, but they cut into them anyway. And I'll tie back into this a little bit later because this actually affected my ovarian reserve. Um, anyway, so the laparoscopy was done and they told us to kind of chill out for a month or two, give, give my body some, some rest. And um, as I was very, very ready to get on, back on the horse, so to speak, I, um, we tried again. And in the, at the beginning of December, end of October, I was pregnant immediately after the laparoscopy. So that was hugely positive. And I know it's the case for a lot of people at times as well. So, um, 
yeah, so I was pregnant, didn't know it, didn't even think to check. Um, and we were, my husband is actually from Ireland and we were visiting Ireland for Christmas. And um, I, uh, I just took a test because I was late and we were already about six weeks at that point. So I was very happy and, you know, kind of ready, but how does, how, can't explain it. I'm not particularly, you know, spiritual or religious or anything like that, but I just had a weird feeling. I can't describe what it was. I was excited to be pregnant, but on the other hand, I was like, mm, I don't know. And um, I would say at about 10 and a half weeks, almost 11 weeks, um, we went in for the second scan. The first scan was at six weeks and they were like, it looks fine. They couldn't really see a heartbeat at that point, but they said, it's normal to not see one this early anyway, we'll, we'll check again. So we went in at about 10 weeks for a second scan and it was a missed miscarriage. Um, so that was the first time that I heard the words, you know, sorry, are you timing it right? Is everything? And I was like, yes, it's, it's right. Um, and they were like, we would go and see a heartbeat. And that was shocking and very upsetting. And, um, and as I'm sure for a lot of people that go through the missed miscarriage, it's also kind of just like, you just don't know what you've done and what went wrong. And interestingly for me, the first, um, the first instinct that I had as a woman in that situation was to say, to apologize. I actually apologized to the woman doing the ultrasound and I apologized to my husband and they were all looking at me going, you don't have to apologize. But I felt like I had somehow failed. Um, but as it was my first, um, I reached out to some friends who reached out to other friends. And this is what I love about the network of people that go through infertility is how supportive and lovely it was. And this was my first taste of, the support I could get and I um I kind of felt like okay this is the first time and you know it happens to a lot of people um we're just gonna give it a breather and try again just to backtrack a little bit about six months before this my father had passed away so I was you know kind of just dealing with the loss of that as well and then this happened so it was a bit more intense but I we we kind of got back on the horse I traveled back home I'm originally from Pakistan and I had to go look after some family members that were unwell. So also a very stressful trip. And in about May of the same year, um, we got pregnant again. And to just get, preface all of this, we get pregnant very fast. So we tend to get pregnant pretty much every time we try. Um, and unfortunately, the problem is obviously being able to hold the pregnancy. So in about May of that year, I got pregnant again. And um, this time, I believe it was what was what's called a, a chemical or a very early pregnancy um it was maybe just maybe like five four five six days after um I got a positive test that I just had a kind of heavy period um this was somehow even more disturbing to me and more upsetting because now it was like oh wow okay so it wasn't just a fluke this was the second time um and because it was early I didn't you know didn't have to go through a procedure so the first mis miscarriage that I had I chose to have um uh, a couturage, a, a DNC procedure, um, because of my body just wasn't um, ready to let go, I guess. And so after the second one, it was fine, it was done, you know, kind of recollecting my emotions and thoughts. Um, and here is where I started to get symptoms. Um, I was very tired, I was getting headaches, I had. Um, a lot of anxiety. I mean, I've had anxiety for years at times, but this was just out of the ordinary. Um, mostly just very, very, very dead weight fatigue. 
I just figured maybe I was just a bit depressed or sad about the miscarriage, or maybe it was just a lot of stress the last year. Um, and I work as a school teacher. So I, I just kept pushing my way back into work. And finally on one day, I just told my boss, I really, I can't, I can't stand. I'm too exhausted. So they, um, I went to a doctor, I went to the gynae and said, is this potentially related to anything, you know, endometriosis or anything gynecological? They were like, no, nothing. They then sent me to a hospital because they thought it was meningitis, which <laughs> it wasn't because I've been vaccinated. But anyway, this is where the story gets kind of interesting. Um, I was then in a hospital and tested for everything from, you know, strokes to multiple sclerosis. And it was a really difficult time because they just couldn't figure out what was wrong. Um, and they said, look, I think it's just stress. I think it's just, you know, a bit of trauma. Have some like, you know, sleeping medication or, you know, in Germany, they don't give you any medication. Like you have to be on death's door to get anything. So we were just given some, some relaxing teas um, and told to go home. Um, about seven hours later, I got a phone call um, from the doctors um, and they said, look, some, some tests have come back and you have very high levels of inflammation in your blood, um, particularly uh, an antibody that's called anti-nuclear antibodies, um, which can be indicative of lupus. Um, not always, but it can be. Um, and in my case, I had had two miscarriages, which, which could be caused by autoimmune disease. Um, I had all of these very specific symptoms and then the antibodies to match. Um, they called me over the phone and they obviously didn't explain to me very well what it was. And they were like, well, we think you have lupus, but we're neurologists, we're not rheumatologists, so we can't help you. And they were like, bye. And I was like, wow, okay. So now I didn't quite know what that meant and what to do, but um, this caused a fair amount of distress. Um, and the thing that I want to highlight during my conversation for anyone that's listening is the effect that this has on one's mental health when it feels like it's one thing after the other. And I think at this point was a very difficult time for mental health because I felt very depressed and very anxious and very afraid about what this meant. Um, but my husband's been super supportive and I'm in a country where I'm very lucky, but the, the medical system is unbelievable. I mean, they really, we pay for our medical insurance through, you know, um, very, very heavy taxation. But at the end of the day, it's been good for us because I have not really had to worry too much about that. And I am very aware of how grateful I am. Um, Next step was getting treatment um, and finally getting a real diagnosis. And I was then diagnosed with what is called anti-phospholipid syndrome. I know many women that go through miscarriages, not many, but quite a few of them that end up having panels done to see if there's blood clotting problems, test for this. And in my case, I was tested before the second miscarriage and then 12 weeks later, which is pretty standard. Um, during the second test, it was found that my levels were high and it was also found, they tested the, the missed miscarriage, um, the fetus, and they found the placenta to be lumpy, which indicated um, a blood clotting disorder. So in a way, it was hugely um, relieving to have answers because I know so, so many people struggle with the, you know, the unexplained infertility. On the other hand, I was newly saddled with a disease um, I was struggling to, you know, feel fit and just to work. And so there was a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. Fast forward to, um, so December last year, by that point, I had found a fantastic rheumatologist. I was put on what's called Plaquenil uh, in the United States. Um, it's, a, a, it's called a DMARD or a disease modifying drug, which basically they still don't know how it does it, but it calms the immune system down. And it 
it, it's a long acting medication. So I took it for about six months before I saw any benefit really. Um, as I said, they're very conservative with medications here. So they only gave me, they didn't give me any cortisone or prednisone or anything. Um, and so, you know, I was, we decided as a couple to just spark the baby making because I wanted to get back on my feet mentally and physically. And, and my husband needed some time to, you know, collect himself as well. And um, we thought, okay, in 2019, we'll take a year off and we'll reapproach this. I want to just say I'm 30, I'm 35 in two weeks at the time I was 34. And we thought we have time. Um, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> um, in April of this year, I felt uh, period pains were becoming a bit more unmanageable and I had little, you know, chronic pelvic pain and just everything was feeling a bit funny. So I figured maybe the endometriosis is acting up. I don't know. So I went to a, a center for endometriosis where they checked me and they actually gave me some more bad news, which was that I potentially have what's called adenomyosis. I know that people are very familiar with endo. Um, in this community. Um, adenomyosis is essentially kind of like endometriosis, but inside the uterus. So it just kind of makes the, the wall of the, of the uterus kind of a bit more scarred and kind of not the ideal environment for implantation, let's just say. But at the moment, it's suspected and it's not confirmed. Um, and she said, we just want to check your AMH levels. So we're just going to send in a bunch of testing to see how you're how you're doing. And I didn't think twice to, to get into it too much. Um, she did the test. I went back home, did some physiotherapy for the pain, felt much better. About four weeks later, we got um, a letter in the mail that said that my AMH levels were 0 0.5. Um, so that was kind of another massive roadblock and surprise um, to try to interpret that and understand what that meant for us. Um, because it suddenly felt like the clock was sticking very loudly and we had to get on with things quickly. Um, at this point, um, we decided and we're, we're told by, by the endometriosis doctor to start fertility treatment. Um, so we went to a fertility clinic. We took our tests and said, could you tell us what this means and what do we do about the antiphospholipid and all that? So at this point, it became clear that if I was to ever try to have a baby again, I would have to be on aspirin, which I am any day, every day anyway, baby aspirin. Um, I would have to take injections, blood thinners. Um, I believe they're called Lovenox in the States. They're called heparin or um, flexana in Europe. And um, they suggested progesterone for the next pregnancy. And um, they also suggested that we, um, you know, kind of get to it as fast as we could. Um, they're quite conservative, as I said again. So they didn't immediately rush into IVF for us. They said, it seems like you're getting pregnant quite quickly. So we'd like to just go from there and see how it goes. We did a bunch of genetic testing, various different things. Um, and we found out that my thyroid level was, was marginally off. So it was in the, the TSH was in the threes or something. And he said, it's not indicative of a huge problem, but he'd like to bring it down. So we started medication for that. Um, we tried with a trigger shot first. So this was in the end of September. Um, we, we went into the, into the fertility clinic. He checked the follicles and said, I'm going to give you a trigger shot. You have about two hour, two days to, to try during this period. And let's see how it goes from here. We got pregnant immediately. Um, and, and I figured, right, here we go. This is the third time it's going to, it's, it's, it's a sure shot. It has to work. Um, but of course I didn't let myself get too excited and, you know, I felt all the symptoms 
Um, just to be clear what my protocol is in case anybody is interested, I was already on baby aspirin on, on CoQ10, the enzymes, multivitamins, pregnancy vitamins. And we were advised to start uh, progesterone supplements uh, right after the, the trigger shot. So we did that. And then as soon as I got a positive pregnancy test, I started to inject myself with blood thinners. Um, unfortunately, in week six, six and a half, um, on my way to work, uh, I started to bleed. And I started to bleed very heavily. For um, I mean, I, I guess there's no standard for things, but for, for a pregnancy that early on, I figured it would just be a heavy period, but this was much worse. Um, I ended up uh, going to, to the doctor. And I also realized that in, in my last three miscarriages, that even though I'm in a great place for healthcare, people don't often know how to handle a woman that is miscarrying. Um, when I got to the doctor, I wasn't offered a seat or a glass of water or, <laughs> or even a tampon or a pad. They were, I think people were just, ner they didn't quite know what to do when someone is, was miscarrying. Um, long story short, it was checked and we were told the pregnancy is not viable and that I should go home and wait for it to pass. Um, the bleeding got very heavy, extremely heavy. And my friend is an obstetrician, so I spoke to her online and she said I would get into a hospital and have it checked, which we did. And they sent us back home and said, you know, we, we are very reluctant to have you have a procedure again. So why don't you um, wait? We came back home. My husband was pretty surprised at how much I was bleeding still. So we went back to the hospital again. At this point, they said, okay, you definitely are bleeding and there's, there's remnants of, of um, you know, uh, the fetus inside and we are going to have to remove it. Um, so I was in hospital and it was removed and I came back home. Um, and I, on this particular instance, immediately got in touch with a counselor. I have had therapy for the last three, four years. I had a difficult childhood. But at this moment, I realized that it was very key for me to have support that maybe my husband or my friends and family cannot provide. Um, there was an immense sense of grief and loss and fear about what lay ahead. And of course, these terms that we all hear of, like, you know, kind of a recurrent miscarriage or the three time thing. And so there was a lot of those feelings and emotions. And that was just basically the end of October. Um, and we are now at a point where we've decided, um, the two of us, to give it a real break for the next two, three months um, to kind of give ourselves some time to give ourselves a Christmas that we can enjoy for once. <laughs> um, we're going back to Ireland for Christmas as well to family. Um, after this miscarriage happened, I, I sat down and thought about how public I want to be about what I was going through because I struggled on a daily basis to meet people that I knew and they'd be like, how are you doing? And I'd want to say, crap, I really feel terrible. But I'd be like, oh no, yeah, all good, we're good. And, and I also realized over time that you know the more I spoke to people, especially the women that I knew in my circles, that so many people, especially from where I come from, have had problems either conceiving or keeping a pregnancy. And there was this fear about sharing it and talking about it. Um, so I wrote a post for Facebook. I shared it with my husband first. I sat on it for a week. <laughs> um, I had intense anxiety about posting it. And then one evening we were having a glass of wine and I just said, I'm going to do it. And I did. I have about 600 people on my Facebook. Um, and I, and I posted it. And within hours, I had hundreds of people commenting, messaging, so many people saying, um, you know, we've been through this and we've never shared before. 
Um, and it was just one of the most moving, um, connecting experiences that I'd had. And I was really very happy to be able to have taken that step to share. And if in any way it had helped anybody in my community, then it was worth it to me. I mean, I completely understand why people don't want to share. But in my experience, it was very liberating to be able to talk about it. Um, and as it stands now, we have had genetic testing on our carotyping, I believe it's called. We are all in the clear for that. I'm going to have a hysteroscopy in the next month to check the structure of the womb now that I'm a habitual aborter, as it's called in Germany. Um, such a weird word. Um, and that would be the final frontier, pretty much. Um, and the last thing now, which is another problem that we are currently dealing with, is that I had a hernia which was found in in the initial laparoscopy and it is I think it's back now and some of my doctors believe we should just leave it I should just deal with the pain because having a hernia and trying to get pregnant is not ideal so it seems like there's lots of roadblocks um, and more and more conditions to overcome but on the other hand I think the message of hope is really it's really that I've, I've, I've appreciated so much people like you, um, people, people that I've come across online, on Instagram. I have people that message me daily and check in on me. And I think it's really strong and powerful that we are part of a community that, that, that we can feel supported. Um, and I guess just to end that up, um, it's hard for me to give hope at the moment because I am not at the stage where I have a rainbow baby. And I know that many of the women who are in my situation feel when we look at people that have that, we wonder, you know, is that ever going to happen for us? Um, I'm sure that you felt that feeling too. Um, there's no way to know at the place where I stand. And I'm a control freak. So this is a very, <laughs> very difficult situation for me. I mean, I, I, I think for me, the hardest part is not being able to um, control the unknownness on the one hand, my story could be interesting to people because I have lupus. I have, I've had endometriosis, adenomyosis, antiphospho. I have all of those things that make it harder. And I have all of the treatments that would make it easier. But on the other hand, a lot of my doctors think that it's not necessary that the reasons I'm miscarrying are because of these. So I could also apparently be in the unexplained miscarriage box. And I just want to put that out there because it's, I think that, a lot of times when you're from one side, if you're on the unexplained side, you think, okay, well, you know, wow, I have no answers and I have no closure. But on the other hand, I have all of those answers as well. And I'm treated for all of those things. And my doctors still believe that the, the, the reasons that we are miscarrying are perhaps just bad luck and maybe try again. So it's... Mis miscarriage is, it's a guessing game. That's how I feel in the medical Absolutely. world. It's a complete guessing game. And I think everybody kind of lands in that unexplained infertility in a bigger picture because um, you never know you never know what it is no and the thing is i think is interesting is um there's a lot of advancement in the medical community on how to get people pregnant um because it seemed yeah. to me every time i went to my doctors you know they had a lot of solutions and a lot of positivity to offer when i said oh well, you know how do we how do we have a baby but as soon as I came back the third time with a miscarriage, I could see these looks of confusion and kind of shoulder shrugging. And, um, and these are all really, really good specialists and they're not necessarily unempathetic. But I realized that there's just not enough um, research and, and, and there's not enough uh, know-how of how to handle um, recurrent pregnancy loss. Um, mm -hmm. So now we are finally seeing a specialist in Berlin who has some experience with it. 
but mostly I realized it's just she's just kinder and she's offered to have more um, frequent uh, mis- I mean frequent monitoring um, and and diagnostics but I think what you had in America is what I'm going to get here is what most people are going to get across the world and I think beyond a certain amount of testing there's just nowhere else to go from there and it really is yeah. like you're on your own from there out you know it's that, trial and is, error yeah <laughs> That's and the is. worst kind, really, isn't it? It's uh-huh. like, okay, we're just going to keep trying to, you know? Yep, I always explain it as Russian roulette. <laughs> it's just like, so hellish. Just like pulling the trigger to just see what happens. <laughs> exactly. And I think, I think maybe, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think for me, um, and I think many people do, it's like getting pregnant is also now just like terrifying, you know? Oh, yeah. Because, uh-huh. because on the one hand, it's like, yeah, okay, great. We're pregnant. Brilliant. Okay, so we've crossed that step. But then every moment of every day, once you're pregnant, is like, what's going to happen now? Are my symptoms there? Are they gone? Are my breasts still swollen? Like, I mean, it's yeah. it's like nonstop. So I think I think until and unless I mean, I was talking to somebody about this recently online, and they were like, you know, when when does it stop? And I'm like, I don't know. I I think I wonder if it stops when you have a baby in your arms, and for some people, I wonder if it stops even after you have a baby in your arms, because there's still a level of anxiety that you feel all yeah. the time. Um, yeah. I don't know how you feel about it now. How has it been for you? Yeah, in I don't think it goes away. Um, I think life after miscarriage is life after miscarriage. It's just, it's just always going to be that. It's always mm-hmm. going to be anxiety filled. Um, I we are we are personally trying for baby number two at oh, the moment. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I still have very similar anxiety that I had after my miscarriages, even mm-hmm. though I have my rainbow baby now. But I do have to say, it's a little bit less and that excitement is a little bit more back almost like the first time but it's still anxiety filled that's really hopeful to hear actually that's really it's really good for me to hear as well I mean like for us at the moment we have been told that because we get pregnant so quickly um to try for another six months and then move to IVF um I personally am going to uh, veto that and go back in January and ask ask for uh, us to 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 start embryo banking if possible because yeah. given my low AMH at this point, I think we've decided amongst ourselves as a couple that the pressure for us, the miscarrying is terrifying and all of that, but the real pressure that we're feeling is the time. Yeah. We're feeling kind of stress that like, we can't, we can't seem to like make reasonable decisions because we're just desperately throwing ourselves into getting pregnant for each cycle and then miscarrying again. So I think for us, it seems like us personally, given my situation, we're going to go back and say, hey, we'd like to start the process to have these embryos if we can get some in the bank. So it gives us a little bit more time to just go, okay, right, now we're in the right space and we want to give it a shot if it's at all possible. Um, Mm -hmm. But I know for many people that also isn't even an option depending on where they are on that scale. So um, yeah. So, and, and of course we have also, I mean, the, the classic question, right? Like, have you considered adoption? And it's like, yes. Okay. Um, that we've got, damn question. Nobody yeah, should ask that question. <laughs> it's unbelievable, you know, and it's unbelievable how many people think that it's somehow easier because yeah. it's not, it's actually not like where I'm living, the laws and the bureaucracy is so intense that it takes a minimum of a year to two years to even be approved for adoption. And then it's about going to find, you know, an adoption agency and all of these things. So we've kind of, we've had the initial meetings for foster care and for adoption and for all of these things, just because, like I said, I'm a control freak, so I have to, I have to spread it out really, like, so I, I know what all my options are. But 
I just want to put out there for anybody that might be listening that, you know, is, is about to ask someone with infertility that question. It's, it's not even that it's an insensitive question. It's just people need to know that it's not easy to adopt. It's not easy to, it's, it's sometimes even harder to, to adopt a baby than it might be to try biologically. So, yeah. Um, exactly. And you can still go through the loss. Absolutely. Even with adoption, you know, so, um, well, thank you so much for sharing your story. You are a great speaker, by the way. (laughs) I feel like your voice should be on like a meditation app. (laughs) (laughs) My husband, my husband would definitely not agree with that, but, but thanks. I'm always always squawking at him going, Brandon. Um, but, uh, but thanks. That's really sweet. I really, really appreciate this opportunity. Um, I hope someone somewhere benefits from this because I really benefited one, one of, on one of my darkest days after my third miscarriage. I was just Googling away and I found your, your, your podcast. And there was just, I went all the way back to some of the first ones that you did. And, and there was one or two particular ones that really, they just really took me out of a hard moment. And I realized that there are people just like me all over the place going through the same thing. And that solidarity is, is gold, really. It's... Ugh. So cool. I'm so happy to hear that people are finding it on Google because that means that the podcast is like growing and being listened to. You know what I mean? Like for it to pop up on Google. Absolutely. Um, that's amazing that it's, yeah. it's there for a resource that easily because I didn't know that. <laughs> and, and I mean, I've got my profile on, um, I've got a handle on, on Instagram, which I think is, is baby. Awesome. It's, it's, it's still Anissa. And if anybody has similar autoimmune problems and must reach out. They're absolutely welcome to, to get in touch and talk to me about Perfect. it. And I will link your Instagram in the description of this episode. I always ask for like a piece of advice at the end. I don't mm-hmm. know if you have anything more, mm-hmm. but like you hit a lot of advice. I feel like mm-hmm. if, you do, if you do have like just that one big piece of advice mm-hmm. for someone in a similar situation, what would it be? Um, in the race, in the race to try to keep going because each each obstacle is a stab in the heart and another 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 break and another another piece of your soul a lot of us tend to just keep pushing forward and going okay just we're going to try again we're going to do this we're going to do that the thing that i i can't i can't speak for anyone else but i can only say what i would have changed about it is i would take my time to process the pain and the grief i would so incredibly recommend everyone, everyone to have counseling, to have therapy. This is an extremely difficult traumatic process to go through. And it's perfectly normal to want some support when you're going through it. Um, I would just, my, my two cents would be don't ignore your mental health um, or your feelings or your grief in the race to try to, it's not a race. I don't mean it that way, but I just mean in, in the push, in the pressure to keep going because it, it can pile up. Um, and I think it's really important for us to keep dealing with things in small chunks as we move forward so that, you know, when we get to some point in this journey, it doesn't fall on us like a ton of bricks. And I think that would be my advice is to just keep checking in with yourself and seeing how you're doing and reaching out for support when you need it. Yes. Thank you so much, Anissa. It, <laughs> we, we really appreciate it. And- Um, Your vulnerability is everything. So you are awesome. Thank you, love. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Can't wait to hear it. (laughs) Yes, keep me posted. I will. Bye, Shelly. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally 
thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.